Well, good morning, everybody. So, last week, we started into just a little two-part series that, um, about the church and the city. And in particular, last week, we looked at, at specifically the purpose of mission in the city, the purpose of us going into this world and bringing the gospel. And that ultimately was, as we saw from Scripture, God's glory. That God above all things desired Himself and His own glory, and He created us for His glory, that we might enjoy Him and we might find satisfaction in Him above all else. And that, that is really where we were last week. Um, and it was essential that we hit this point because if you go on mission, if you go into this world bringing the gospel, and you do not have the correct motives or the right purpose or the right desires, the truth is, is that you will completely miss the target. That you may get done what you thought you were supposed to get done, but none of it actually brings glory to God, which in the end is what He, he wants and He desires. And so my hope was, is that in, in, in talking to you last week and coming to you this week again, talking to you about the city, that we can not only hit the target, but hit it with the right motives and the right desires. And that's really what I'm, I'm hoping for. So that's where we ended last week. And this week I want to pick back up that thought of God's glory and the gospel of Jesus and look at what that now looks like as we live with the gospel in the city. So cities are, are a fairly interesting subject and topic if you talk to most people about them because they tend to be fairly polarized about how they feel. They either love the city or they don't want anything really to do with the city. Uh, and most people, if you talk to them, it, it's... You know, I, I don't want to live in the city or have anything to do with the city because they're loud, they're crowded, they're noisy, um, crime and debauchery happens in the city, all those, you know, evil things. That's, that's where it comes from is the city. Or you have the people that love the city and find it exciting and enjoyable and trendy and, you know, culture moves and shakes there and it's really convenient to get anywhere. Um, having grown up in Willard, it's so nice living in Springfield. Because um, I don't have to drive 45 minutes to get everywhere. Um, but, but that's really, really, it, it's very polarized. But no matter how we feel about the city, the fact of the matter is, is that there is a lot of people that live there. Today I'm going to bring you statistics. And for those of you that love numbers and are nerds like me, it is your day. Because I found some numbers and I'm going to share them with you. Because I think they're important. And, and I, I think God gave us people with minds that like numbers to help us understand things better. So, uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit of this. According to the United Nations and statistics, around the world, about 52% of all people live in an urban area, and they say by 2050, 70% of all people in this entire world will live in a city, will live in somewhere urban. And if you were to, to take that down to an even smaller level to America, in America currently, <clears throat> around 82% of this entire nation lives in a city. And by 2050, they predict somewhere around 90% of this nation will live in a city. So, no matter how you or I really feel about the city, the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of people in them. And a lot of people live there, and a lot of people do everything there. And to go even further than that, let me ask you this. If you don't live in the city, where do you typically go to work? Um, typically the city. Uh, if you are wanting to be educated and go to college... Typically, you go to the city. Or if you send your kids to school, you send them into the city to go to school. And most importantly, and really what we want to talk about today, where we are right now sitting 
is in the city at church. Our church, currently the Way Faith community, we exist and we live in the city of Springfield. And so most importantly and above all other things, this is where we are serving. And so whether or not we find it important or whether or not you like the city or don't like the city or whether or not you, you know, I, whatever, the fact of the matter is, is that we live here and we work here and we serve here because this is where the church is. And so it, my hope is that by the end of this, my, my goal is in this sermon is to give you a, a hope and a passion and a vision for the city that God has given the people of God for generations, that the church was always meant to pursue the people of the city, to pursue people with the gospel, and I want to I want to bring that to you guys today. Now, in reality, the church can interact with the city in four different ways, and so I, I want to bring those up, and we're going to look at all four of those, and then we're going to look. One of those is um, the the way that I believe God calls us to live and move in the city as the church. But first of all, a church can live or, or be in the city. And what I mean by that is that the church can solely exist in the city, and that's, that's pretty much it. They, they work to bring people in their doors occasionally to hear the gospel, which is great, but typically it ends there. Um, this church is more focused on what goes on on the inside of the church than anything that happens on the outside. Uh, they geographically exist in the church, but not much more than that. Secondly, there is a church against the city. <clears throat> this is a church that is, that is on the defense against the city. They have adopted what, what I'll call an us-versus-them mentality. That they, they, not, they don't want anything to do with the city, but find everything in it evil, claiming that they are taking a stand against the culture for Christ. That They say, politics, bad. Arts, bad. Media, bad. Bad. Church? Good. And, and that's, that's really what that church, that's the mindset of that church. But for us to be faithful to Scripture, we have to take those things from culture, and we can either accept, reject, or redeem them for the glory of God. And just as a, a small aside, a church that lives with an us-versus-them mentality that is against the city typically has a very self-righteous heart, that we find um, in those churches, people typically find that they're better than the other people because they have something that the other people don't, which is which God, Christ and the gospel, and that we find something bigger and better about ourselves because we live in a church. That kind of a church is completely self-righteous and will never reach the cities with the gospel. Thirdly, there's a church of the city. This church is the church that goes to the exact opposite of the church against the city and takes all those cultural things and bends so far that they lose complete faithfulness in Scripture and the Gospel. That This church loses their salt and their light as they go out into this world. Uh, they've been so far that they, as Jesus says in John 17, when he prays for us to be in the world but not of it, they disregard that and they're in the world and of it. So that, that's really where that church exists. The last church I want to talk about, and this is a church that I think God has called us as Christians to be a part of, and a church that we are to exist as and pursue the city as, is a church for the city. This church proclaims the truth of the Bible boldly, clearly, and passionately. 
At the same time, they commit themselves to seeking the welfare, peace, and flourishing of the city. This means they seek this for the people they live in community with, living sacrificially, and using their gifts, time, and money to seek the peace and prosperity of their neighbors. Uh, As an overarching term, I'm going to call this seeking the shalom of the city. Now, if you were to hear the word shalom, I think many of us would think of the Jewish greeting, hi, goodbye, that's typically how they, they greeted each other. Or even just the word peace typically comes to mind uh, when we think of shalom. But I, I found a definition, and I think, I think Scripture, when it uses the word shalom, has a much deeper meaning in it. And I, this definition, I think, gives a, a great example of that. It says, shalom, as, as a term and message, seems to encapsulate a reality and a hope of wholeness for the individual within, society, within societal relations and for the whole world. To say joy and peace, meaning a state of affairs where there is no dispute or war, does not begin to describe the sense of the term. There's much more to this word shalom as we seek the shalom of the city than just seeking peace. What comes with shalom is a wholeness and a completeness. Um, Almost think of it as something where you are working to make it as it always should have been. That something is broken or it's not complete. And, And as you seek the shalom of the city, you are looking to bring to it what it always needed, what it to, to make it what it always should have been. And so <clears throat> that is what I believe a church for the city is really seeking for. Now, there are a ton of really good texts that talk about the church in the city, and if you have time, I, will, I totally recommend them. Jonah, great book if you want to look at, at God's work and love for the city. Uh, the whole book is about this prophet going to speak to... The, to uh, people that were enemies, really, a nation. But God continually calls it the great city, this, this great city, and he is to go and bring the message of God to them. Or if you look in Acts, the, entire, the entirety of Acts, you can see how the early church relates and interacts with the city that they dwell in and that they move in. But today I want to talk to you um, from a text that I feel like God has laid on my heart and, and gives us a great picture of what it looks like to be a church for the city. Uh, it's in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, that's not even a book of the Bible, Jeremiah 29, and we'll start in verse 4, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, it's up here on the screen, uh, we can read along, that's what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Bear sons and daughters. Oh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, to give a little background on this text, 
obviously from the first verse or very first verses that we read, the people of Israel, the people of God, were in exile to the city of Babylon. That they were actually captured by the city of Babylon. Now Babylon was a, a great and mighty city, conquered many, many nations, um, and they had come in and they were they were taking the Israelites literally captive. This was. This was after years and years of Jeremiah preaching to them, proclaiming to them as a prophet that they needed to repent of their sins. But because the people of Israel refused, it actually says that God allowed them to be captured by the nation of Babylon and the king Nebuchadnezzar. Now we can see from these verses, and I think this is really interesting, these verses give us a picture of, of what God wishes for the people of Israel to pursue in the city they have now been taken captive in. If if I was a person of the people of Israel and I read this or I heard this for the first time, I think I would be a little offended and maybe a little taken back because this is not your normal, typical message to the people who have captured you. Treat them well. Live for their welfare. Pray for them. Seek their good. This is not something that would have been normal and in my own heart just doesn't feel right. Well, this is what God, God has called them to. And in actuality, we can see that God... Has, has given them what they really have four choices that they can, they can live in. First of all, they could live in the city. Uh, they were captives there, so they had to be there, regardless of what happens. They had to live in the city. They had to geographically exist in the city. And they could have had something to do with the people of Babylon, but they, they didn't have to. They could just kind of live out their time, die, and go on their way. It's really where they could have been. If you read in verses 8 and 9, uh, back in that passage, um, God is telling them through Jeremiah, uh, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophes- prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. If you read just a chapter back, um, there's actually a prophet that had come and said, don't worry, we're going to go in there and in two years God is going to break them and he's going to send us right back. And God here tells them that that's a complete and total lie and a false prophecy. But it had the people, or were the people to believe this, they could also be a people of God against the city. That knowing that they were going to destroy, that God was coming to destroy that nation in two years, they could have been living and working in such a way to destroy, to deceive, to bring down the city that they were held captive in. Thirdly, they could have been a people of the city. Now, if you were to understand the country of Babylon uh, and their ways of capturing people, it was much different than the, the the way they captured people at that time. Most nations, as they came in, would either do one of two things. They would either drive the country out as they came in. They would run the people away, which typically made the people very angry, and they would come back and fight them again or they would come in and run them down through slavery or subjugation of some kind, that they would beat them down. And usually that made them mad and they would come back and fight again. So Babylon came in and and they had a different, a third way of approaching their captives so as to prevent the people from coming back and attacking them. What they would actually do is they would bring the people in and assimilate them into their culture. They would take the leaders and the, the big-name people from the, uh, from the uh, country that they defeated, and they would offer them big jobs, and they would offer them high-priority things, as long as they became just like them. 
If you remember, if you've ever read uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den and King Nebuchadnezzar, same King Nebuchadnezzar here in Babylon that took the people of Israel. That's just a small story inside of this story. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, th- this is what happened to them in the book of Daniel. That King Nebuchadnezzar offers them these big positions and brings them in, and he wants them to be just like them. Uh, he wants them to eat the king's meat. He wants them to you know, bow down every morning when the, the trumpets went off to bow down to their idols. That, that is what they tried to get the people to do, and in doing that, offered them great jobs. So, just like that, the people of Israel could have become a, a people of the city, that they could have assimilated into the city and ended up turning from their god to another god and worshiping uh, idols. Or, as God shows them and tells them here, they could have become a people of God for the city of Babylon. And this is really, this is just an incredible passage. Um, But I think it's important to note here that the people of Israel going into the city of Babylon and seeking its good was not some new kind of concept. That the people of God seeking the good of the nations around them was not something that they wouldn't have understood or even come across in their own scripture reading or their own traditions, honestly. If you go back to Genesis 12, we're going to look there here in just a second. But in Genesis 12, God is talking to Abraham and he gives him a promise. And this is what he says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we saw last week in Psalm 96, God above all, before all things, deserves our praise, worship, honor, and glory because of solely who he is. But in even the beginnings of the nation of Israel, God has given his people a call the, the father of the nation of Israel, a call to go and be a blessing to all nations solely because God was a blessing, first of all, to him. That he was to pick up his stuff and go from his country and the place that he has always known, pick up his stuff and go. And God was going to bless him. And because he blessed him, they were to then, he was to then, the nation that he was going to create was to be a blessing to all people. Uh, and this continued all the way through to the people of Babylon through Israel, where we're at right now. So the question is, what does God say it looks like to be a blessing to the city? And I would start with, first of all, to be a blessing and a people for the city, you must first and foremost start with the gospel. In the gospel, we have the greatest picture of God's glory. In the gospel, we have the greatest good to bring to all people, reconciliation with our Creator true joy and satisfaction that you can't find in sex, money, or power. In the gospel, we can find salvation for our souls, hope for life as we await the coming King Jesus once more. This must always be the motivation and the desires of our heart as we go into the city and bring the glory of God to the people. We talked about this last week. However, uh, this just seems like an idea, and it is a motivation. So what... How do we do this? What does this look like for us as we go into the city of Springfield? Um, and I think before we can get there, we must look first at, at the city of Springfield itself. And here come more numbers for 
all of you who are like me and nerds. Springfield uh, has got about 160,000 people within the city limits. Uh, if you were to look at the cities surrounding it, uh, such as Willard, Rogersville, Republic, cities like that, Nixa, uh, there's about 200,000 people. If you were just to look at the demographics of it, the median income is about $30,000. We are not a very diverse nation in the sense of our race. About 92% white, 3% African American, 1% Asian. That's actually um, more diverse than it was five years ago, so be happy about that. Find grace in that. The median age is about 33 years old. 40% of all households in Springfield are married. Of all of the households in Springfield, about 11% of those are single mothers. Uh, 10%, there's 10% greater poverty in Springfield, Missouri, than all of the greater Missouri area if, for the rest of the state. And about 30% of children in the city of Springfield are below the poverty line. There's about 200 churches in the city and about 600 in the surrounding areas, if you're to look at that. It's important that we understand the city we live and we breathe and we move and we work and we serve in because this person, this kind of people, this is who you're going to be talking to most likely as you walk out into the city. As you go to work, as you do your jobs, as you serve in PTA, as you go to the park and hang out, wherever you are, as you go to a restaurant, this is the type of person, these are the people you will be meeting, interacting with, and sharing the gospel with. And it's important that you understand that because we must always remember that we are contextualizing, we are bringing the gospel into a place that is it's foreign. These people don't understand the gospel. The people that, don't, that haven't been saved, that God has not saved, do not understand the gospel. And so we come to them understanding who they are, that we might speak to them at their level and where they're at. Not that... We're dumbing it down, not that they're stupid, whatever. That's not it. But these are the type of people we're, we're speaking to. That blew me away that 11% of all households in Springfield are single mothers. That's just crazy. 30% of the children in this area, probably a lot of the children that come to this school, it's a very, uh, one of the more poor schools in Springfield, Cowden is, they're, they're below the poverty line. That's, that's insane. But these are the people we're seeking to reach with the gospel. So, what does it, how, how do you reach these people with the gospel? How do you go about bringing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to these people? And God tells them in Jeremiah, if we look back there, God tells them to, to live for the city means, first of all, to live life in the city. This is what he says there at the beginning. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Give your daughters in marriage that they may uh, bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the and, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. We must first and foremost live in the city. Now, this this means practically that some of us, God has called us to sacrificially give up comfort and security in the homes that we live and move into the city. That we give up our lives where we're at, that we might move into this city and strategically implant ourselves and incarnate ourselves where the people are that need the gospel. 
Now, this doesn't mean everybody needs to do it, but there are some people that have been called to this. And I'm not saying that the country is less important, that uh, rural areas are less important than the city, but in the city we can find one thing. There's one thing in specific. Cities are strategic in reaching people because in the cities you can find both diversity and density. I grew up in Willard, Missouri. I am here to tell you Springfield isn't huge, but it is much more dense and full of people than Willard is. Uh, there's a lot of cows in Willard, and that's about it. So um, we used to play a game on the bus called Hey Cow. That's how like bored we were. That's what we did is we screamed at cows as we drove by on the bus. Springfield is not like that. We live in a city. This is where we're at. And in a city, you're ten, you tend to find more and less educated people. There's a much greater diversity in that, in income level, in race, in, in all of that. You can find a much broader and bigger span of people to reach. In addition, because there is just more people here, strategically it makes sense to bring the gospel where there's more people so that it can have a greater effect on more people. Thirdly, the, from the cities we find that culture actually moves. You never hear that some really cool trend started happening out in a farm in no man's land and made its way to the city creating this new awesome cultural trend. It doesn't happen that way. Typically what happens is in the city you find the great diversity of people who begin doing different things, have different traditions, that they wear different types of clothes, they have different kinds of philosophies, they have different education levels. And as they interact, people from the rural areas come into the city to work and go to school and live life. And as they come in, these trends begin to then go out into the, the other areas. And that's how it works. Culture flows downstream from the cities. And so if we are to have the greatest impact as Christians with the gospel for the glory of God, it makes a lot of sense to start somewhere where you're going to reach the most people, the most different kinds of people, with the greatest impact. And so that, that is why the cities are important. Now living life in the city means just living life in the city. Go to your job. Enjoy your job. Live with integrity in your job. Ethics is a huge issue in the business world right now. You want to know why? Because nobody from the world, in the world of the flesh, lives ethically for the most part. And that the number one thing I get in all my business classes at Missouri State is Ethics, 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 ethics across the board. Live with integrity as a businessman, businesswoman in your job. If you have kids that are in school, this means that you involve yourself with them in the school, in the PTA, that you get to know the other moms and dads that are in that school, that have kids there, and you live for their good. You serve them. You love them. You, you bring them stuff whenever they have kids like we do here in the church. We set up those meal plans. I, I think that's awesome. Or they have yard work that they need done. Your neighbor has yard work that, that needs done. He lives right next door. You drop your TV remote or your video games, and you go outside and you help them. That's what it looks like to live life in the city. And to live life in the city, to, to live for the, yes, the video games was for you, John. Um, I guess Brent, Brent as well. And Heather. Uh, no, but... God tells them, Jesus tells them uh, in this to, to pray for the welfare of the city on its behalf. To pray to the Lord on its behalf. Let me ask you, how many of you spend time out of your day, every day, 
praying for the city of Springfield. In your prayers, does the city of Springfield exist on your prayer list? If it doesn't, God calls us to pray for our city on its behalf. God loves people, but he loves them to experience him. And so we pray for the city that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the gospel as we live with them daily. Pray for your city. Spend time praying for your neighbors, even if you don't know them. Pray for our leaders of our city, the leaders of our nations. I don't care if you don't like them. Our call is to pray for the city, that God might be known and glorified in all peoples through all cities. Next, I would say to be a people and a church for the city means that the gospel touches and affects our lives and the lives around us at every level. With the gospel, we bring peace to the restless. We bring grace and mercy, forgiveness and reconciliation to relationships. We bring truth and integrity. We come feeding the poor and helping the needy. We are to be people that give because everyone else is taking. When you come to the city, what do you come to do? You come to work so that you can get your paycheck. You come to the grocery store so that you can get your groceries. You come to the city primarily, most of the time, to take. But the great news is, is that as Christians, we don't need it. We, we, we have recognized that the greatest need in this world is God to be glorified, like we talked about last week. And so we can go into the city with a different perspective, giving. That we can go into the city, interacting with the people and the, the people and the nations, the neighbors around us, giving to them what we have been given in the gospel. And we can do all of this humbly because Christ came and did it for us first. As a missionary, Jesus left the culture of heaven and came down to the culture of earth. And here he lived with us as human beings. And in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, Christ brought us the gospel and everything that we will ever need. He brought the gospel of peace to our life because his sovereignty because of his sovereignty, so we can live with true peace in the midst of chaos of our lives in the city, because we know in Christ that God is sovereign over all. We can bring grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation to relationships we have with people in the city, because Christ brought all of those with him so that we can have those types of things, that kind of relationship with the Father. We can feed the poor and help the needy, because before the gospel we were poor, and we were helpless, and we were ill-deserving, but we have been made rich in Christ, and He has given us in the Holy Spirit the power to live life to the glory of God through the Holy Spirit. We can work hard at our jobs because our work is a reflection of our devotion and love to Jesus, our true Lord and Master. I think as well one of the greatest things we as Christians can bring to the city is our Ability to suffer well. That in this world and in this life, you will experience tragedy, you will experience pain, you will experience suffering at some level. God tells the, tells the Christian when it comes, not if it comes, but when it comes. The fact of the matter is that it's going to come. You and I are going to experience persecution from our friends and family in this city. You're going to experience loss. You're going to experience sadness in your relationships. It, it's going to come. 
But as we go in mission to the city, just as the Israelites were exiles and were suffering at the hand of the Babylonians, we can go into the city and suffer well. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21.2-3 says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself, God himself, will be with them as their God. We can suffer well in this this life here on earth because we know without a shadow of doubt that we have a hope. A church for the city finds its true hope in the resurrection of Christ and his initiation of the true city. That we live in this city and we interact with the people in it and we bring the gospel to these people. We bring reconciliation, we bring peace, we bring hard work. We bring the gospel because we have hope in the resurrection of Christ and the fact that he's coming again to bring the true city. We don't get wrapped up in the the failings and the faults and the things that are of this city. We live in the world. Satan is the ruler of this world, Scripture says. We don't live in a place that's happy all the time. We don't live in a place that is glorifying God all the time. But we hope and know that there is a day coming when he will come down with the holy city, that we can live and dwell with God, and he will dwell with us. That a church for the city finds its hope in Christ and his resurrection. A great example of this was the early church in Rome. Now, after uh, after the church was started in Acts, and they were, they were living there, it's about the turn of the third century, they had been working very hard, um, and actually were beginning to see fruit in the city, that people were being converted, the lives were being changed in the city because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But around the third century, there came this huge plague, and it, it started killing masses of people. And I can only imagine the thoughts that are going through, that would be going through my head as I was a people of God living in the city. We've done all this work, and all of a sudden, people are just dying left and right around us. It was, it was killing thousands of people. And the people who were pagans, who, just for a quick aside, the word pagan means farmer, because they were not in the city. That the people who were considered Christian were the ones in the city. That's, that's kind of what came, that, how that word came about. Just as a small aside, it's really interesting to, to look into that. But, but the pagan people of, of Rome were taking their sick, the sick and dying of their families and their friends, and they were actually just throwing them out in the street. They wanted nothing to do with them. They didn't want to die. They didn't want to deal with the, the illness or the sickness, so they just threw them out in the street. And the Christians, because they knew that their hope did not lie in their own life, that to, to die is gain, as Paul says in Philippians, that, that their own life did not count as much as bringing the glory of God to the peoples, the Christians were actually known in that time for going out and taking care of those people that were thrown out. Even if they had nothing to do with, with Jesus and his church, even if they were at their deathbed, they would bring them food and water, that they would take care of them. And it was actually amazing. They, they ended up saving thousands of people because all they needed was the basic of medical care, these people. But in the midst of this, the church began dying. 
that people that went out and helped these people began dying. But in the end, what's crazy is there was there's like documented case after documented case of leaders in the city of Rome that said without the without the Christians they would have never survived, they would have never made it because the Christians knew how to suffer well. I want to end kind of with these uh, with some words from Christ Himself in Matthew five. Matthew five thirteen through sixteen is where we're going to be at. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city." set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christ here is telling his disciples, you've been given the light of, of myself in the gospel. You've been given the greatest news in this whole world. You, you are salty. You are light, but what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? If it never goes out and actually does anything, it's worthless. It deserves to be trampled on under the ground. You are a light of the world. This world is a dark place, but people don't go and hide it under a basket. They don't snuff it out. What you do when it's dark outside, you light a light so that you can see where you're going. You and I, in the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, have been given saltiness and light. We've been given the greatest news that this world has ever known. We can have a relationship with our Creator and our Savior because He came and died and took our place that we deserved on the cross. That in the Gospel, you can find everything your soul and your heart has ever desired or wanted. You can find true satisfaction and you can find true joy. I love what he says. We're a city set on a hill. And it can't be hidden. In that time in Jerusalem, when people were traveling at night, you knew you were coming to the end of your journey. If it was dark outside, you didn't want to be out there. There was wild animals, and they would kill you. So you wanted to get to the city. You did not want to sit out in the fields because you didn't want to die. And so they would look for, they, they built cities up on hills so that you could see them, so that people knew where to go. You and I are to be a city on a hill. We're to be a city within the city. That we're to be a light that shines to this dark world, the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's not any of our works that do it, but through our works, God shines and reflects His glory through the Holy Spirit on this world. And they can see His beauty and His majesty because we come with humility and because we come with peace and we come with mercy and grace and forgiveness because this world doesn't understand those things. True forgiveness, true grace. We reach a city with the gospel because by, by being a city within the city. We're not citizens of this world. We're exiles. Just as the people of Israel were exiles in the city of Babylon. Our hope does not rest here. Our joy and our satisfaction does not sit here. It is not in our job. It is not in our families. But through our service and our good works, 
as Christ talks about. We can shine the light of the gospel on the eyes of the lost and the unbelieving so that they might turn and not glorify us, may not give worship to us, but above all, to glorify God and give glory to Him in the face of Jesus Christ. This is my challenge to you. Our purpose for mission is God's glory. The city is waiting for you to bring light because it's dark and it doesn't know what's going on. But we have been given the light. We've been given salt. We're to go into this world, into the city, bringing the gospel, living for the good of the city, living for the welfare of our neighbors and its people, not so that we can gain anything because we have gained everything in Christ, but so that they might gain the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And I I love the city of Springfield. God, I pray for the city. I pray that you watch over it, God. God, I pray that we as the church, this building is not the church. Where we exist is not the church, God, but who we are. We are the church. We are a city within the city. That we bring the gospel of Jesus to this world. To the city of Springfield. God, I pray that you bring the city to its knees in worship of you. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, I pray that we can do good works in this city, that people might know you, might see you, might glorify you. That we don't go self-seeking, looking to raise ourselves up at any level, but that at every level we look to make you high and exalted and glorious. God, I pray that you give each one of us a passion for the city of Springfield. That you you lay in our hearts a fire that will not go out, that we might reach this city, God, the city that needs you with the gospel. God, this is where we are. This is where we worship. This is where we serve. God, and I pray that you give us a heart and a passion for the people of this city to your glory alone. I thank you for speaking to to myself. God, I, I pray that you continue to burn in my heart a passion for the city in each one of us. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we can know God. We thank you that we can experience him, that we can really truly experience God, humility and grace and forgiveness and reconciliation, and that we might turn and share that with the people of this world that don't know what that is really like. God, that we might work hard in our jobs, that we might serve well. We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.